Hello and welcome. In this episode, John Deere gets metaphorically stuck in the foyer of an art gallery and witnesses something terrifying. Dario Argento's 1970 masterpiece, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, aka Lucello della Piume di Cristallo. Dave Thomas, that's me, sits back and encourages him to get on with it. This is episode 5 of Due Signori in Giallo. I've run through it over and over again. I can't get it out of my head, but I can't manage to pin it down either. Let me finish. He isn't even Italian, and you're making him risk his life. Somebody's already tried to kill him once. And what makes you so sure they won't try again? You're blackmailing him. This week, we inevitably discuss gendered and sexualized violence, and also animal cruelty. Now, we've reached the bird with the crystal plumage and thus enter enter Dario Argento, possibly the most identified person with the, with the giallo genre. Is that fair to say? Yeah, um, with the giallo and probably Italian horror full stop. Barber's probably more recognised uh, in more recent years as he's been kind of reappraised and Fulci has become also kind of appreciated as more of an artist than he was at the time. But I think kind of speaking in terms of how he was perceived at the time, I think Argento was like the the one that was kind of celebrated even during the time that he was making these movies. You know, Dario Argento's possessory credit, you know, comes up quite a lot in the way that... um, I don't think Fulci's was regarded as quite the same at the time. So, and, and... they're really the two big Italian horror directors that you'd even know the names of um, back back then. Was uh, this a particular success at the time? Yes, Um, and that's kind of a key thing in the shift of the giallo away from what we've kind of seen up to now with the the convoluted mysteries and, and gaslighting elements, which persist beyond beyond this but um yeah this is this is the shift into kind of sex and violence and sexy violence um really you know, kind of explicitly uh and a big part of that is because yes this this actually made a ton of money in italy uh i think it made back at least double its budget just in italy so it was um it was very successful there isn't, compared to some I've seen, that much. I mean, it has to be relative. I was about to say sex and violence, but it, obviously there is there is a fair bit. But relatively speaking, uh, there's only the the murder of the of the woman on her own in her in her bed, which feels in any way sort of potentially gratuitous. I mean, she's wearing a very a very revealing nighty that doesn't seem like the sort of thing a woman would wear to bed w- without the male gaze. Um, in some ways, I thought it was quite was quite restrained in some particular areas, and it's it's very it's dark. It's shot very very it's shot very darkly, which makes the pivotal scene at the at the beginning with the with what our man witnesses uh, shine out so well because that's so heavily lit. I thought it was a very very dark piece. But anyway, first things first things first. Who was Dario Argento? Where did he Where did he come from? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because we were talking about um, previous episodes this strangely um 
almost dynastic way that Italian horror directors or genre directors seem to come into the business. You know, it's through, through like family connections or, or whatever it is. Um, and Argento is actually no different. Um, so his his mum was a famous celebrity photographer and his dad uh, was part of the organisation that promoted Italian films internationally. So he was always around, you know, you know, cinematic uh, folks and filmmakers and actors. He he actually said at one point that his earliest memory was sitting on Sophia Loren's knee. Um, wow, that's that's a good, that's a good memory. <laughs> that's not bad, is it? Yeah, yeah. As these things go, um, and so he kind of came up, you know, in that world. He'd been. Um, I've seen him, you know, he's often described as like, well, he was a critic before he was a filmmaker, but um, I don't know how much of a kind of published critic he was. He was certainly a critic um, on like his school paper. Was he a, was he a, blo- a blogger as was in, <laughs> of, in of the his 60s? Day, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Did he have a podcast? Did he have a podcast? Italian cinema yeah yeah support my patreon um (laughs) let's hope for all of us (laughs) exactly uh and his first I guess big credit was he was asked um to contribute to the script to Once Upon a Time in the West wow with uh, Bertolucci Mm. now there's there's still much debate about what he actually contributed and how much of the final version of the film was was down to him um but he then you know but kind of through that um success he became a writer he was, i think he was known as a bit of a rewrite guy um uh-huh. so he worked you know he worked on like spaghetti westerns a or, script doctor uh, more than yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. um and so he you know he was around he was writing um and apparently it was bertolucci actually gave him a copy of the screaming mimi the the mystery novel on mm-hmm. which this is based Right, um, okay. By, okay. by Frederick Brown, um, which had been filmed with Anita Ekberg previously in, in a much different version. I mean, I've, I've never actually seen that version, but um, I don't think th- I don't think this owes a great deal to the novel necessarily. Beyond, is that a bird I can hear in the background? So the twist, the the twist to reveal the how, twist. They, how they find the killer is the only similarity, is it? <laughs> as far as I'm aware, I, mean, right, I, okay. I have to admit, mm. I've not read, I've neither read the novel or seen the Ekberg version. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think he was kind of creating this largely out of um, out of whole cloth. And apparently, the, so the script for this, which Argento wrote, um, was kind of just for his own amusement, uh, and he hadn't really intended to direct it. But then, when it sort of became possible that it was, you know, it would be like a, a viable film, you know, that this could actually be shot and turned into a movie. Um, the people who were being kind of bandied about were not people he was prepared to allow to, um, mm. uh, to, to you know, to, to potentially ruin his script. Um, apparently, the one he took particular umbrage at was Terence Young, because oh really? Okay. Yeah, because Wait Until Dark had been you know a, a, a fairly big success a few years earlier. That's the um, that was the the one where Audrey Hepburn plays the blind lady in the apartment where. Um, Various people are trying to uh, get back a doll oh. full of drugs. Oh yeah, which um, is which is a fairly. I mean, you know, it, it's a it's a pretty good thriller for what it is. It, but it, I, you know, I can see there's a world of difference between that and Bird with Crystal Plumage as it ultimately comes out. So I can kind of see why Argento would potentially look at that and go, no, 
Um, mm-hmm. I would I would like to go in a different direction. So he eventually sort of became apparent that the only way he was going to allow it to be made was if he directed himself because he'd never directed before. His father, Salvatore, who obviously was working in the film biz, was was drafted in as a producer by the production company, basically to kind of you know keep things um, keep things on track. Uh, and and you know famously the production company did did not like what they were seeing <laughs> mm. and tried to get Argento replaced uh, ah. at least on one occasion. Which again, you know, hi- hindsight is always you know twenty twenty, isn't it? So you know, what didn't they like about what they were seeing from 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 That's Argento? That's a really good question. Yeah, uh, because it looks. I mean, it's easy to say now, but it looks gorgeous. Uh, it looks different. It doesn't have the uh, the obvious sort of color palette of a of um of a, what we've seen so far from from Barva, um, but. It's got a it's got a style to it. It's got a it's it, it's the man knows how to 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 use, to use a uh, to to sorry to frame a shot. I mean, I suspect that's probably what they were, why they were um, perturbed because it doesn't really look like anything that came before it. Uh, you mean they wanted it to look like blood on black lace? That sort of the sort of thing. They were yeah, I mean, I'm 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 guessing what they assumed they were signing up for was something like the. Lindsay Carroll Baker films, or like, you know, Fulci's one on top of the other, which are all very, you know, they're still doing that kind of pop art sixties, you know. I mean, we keep referencing back to it, but that kind of blow up inspired, you know, psychedelic freak out thing, and this is resolutely not that. I saw the um, the uh, DOP, uh, what's his name, Vittorio. Uh, uh, Storaro, I think. Anyway, but he went on to do um, Apocalypse Now. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. So he's um, so he's no one's fool. Exactly. I mean, you know, if you look at if you look at who worked on it, I mean, yeah. you know, Ennio Morricone, yeah, all of the kind of below the line folks are are absolutely top flight and went on to work on you know, many other extraordinary movies, including some other Argento films, of course. But did did Argento see himself as a a director of Jalo? Because plenty of I mean, as we as we discuss with what counts in the canon of, of Jalo, plenty of Argento's films would not be considered Jalo, and many are highly um, supernatural in uh, in yeah. In the, but it, I, I think I don't think he necessarily ever saw himself as a straight genre director um, because he kind of railed against it in the in the early days. Uh, obviously, this was a big success. The next thing. Uh, he then ended up doing, and I think really at kind of the behest of the, the producers and, and the you know finance folks, was Cat of Nine Tails, which is a you know another Jello, which is not one of his stronger films. Um, it still has some things to recommend it, but it's you know of, of like the what's become referred to as the Animal Trilogy. Uh, it's certainly the weakest of the three, and then. The film he made after that, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, is is almost like a reaction and a rejection of of the Jello. It's you know, it, it's it's a strange film. Uh, it's a very good film, but if you you know, it's one that you watch. I remember the first time I saw it, and I, I was just like, is every character in this supposed to be this loathsome? And it actually, <laughs> and the answer is yes. 
it, it's it's a film that kind of is deliberately repellent, like a self-aware Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, if Julian Fellows uh, know how much everyone hates anything that's in a Julian Fellows production. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> And so, you know, he, he really was, kind of, I, th- I think, felt constrained by this this thing that he'd, if not invented, absolutely revitalised and, and changed. And subsequent to that, he went and tried to make a, a totally different film. Um, you know, another thing that was, you know, popular in Italy at the time was, you know, was the kind of period comedy, that kind of Decameron style mm, okay. Um thing and there are a lot of those um so he made he made a film called the five days which is his one really only non-horror non-thriller kind of subject which was a, a notorious bomb the next film he did after that was um deep red profondo rosso so he kind of came back to it because that was unsuccessful and i, I guess he's one of you know a bit like george romero one of those people that kind of finds himself because he's successful in a particular genre and expectations thereof, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that because that's quite unusual for Italian filmmakers to be, you know, to just concentrate on a genre. And when we, you know, the directors that we talk about, they, they've all generally done lots of different things. They, you know, like Barva did, you know, pirate movies and Hercules movies and and things like that. And you know, b- before he came to doing, you know, Jallo and horror, like Lucio Fulci was a comedy guy. Um, that's like primarily what he was known for. I can still so, see that in some of his horror, though. <laughs> you can actually. So Argento's quite unique in that, with kind of one exception, he's really only ever done horror subjects. Um, and I wonder. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess at some point he must have made his peace with it. I suppose. I don't know. Um, he always seems quite grumpy, but except actually, that's not fair. He, whenever I see him interviewed on video. Um, he seems quite sort of doer, but then he came and did a Q and A at the BFI some years back, and he was hilarious. So I guess it's just you know how many how many glasses of wine has he had? Who's he hanging out with? You know, does he have an audience? I guess mm. um, doesn't he have a shop in Rome? He does have a, yeah. yeah, Profondo Rosso, which is managed by Luigi Cozzi, <laughs> another another Italian horror director. Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I've never been. I have a couple of friends have been. Um, it's one of my ambitions to uh, to go. Apparently, sort of the upstairs is a shop, and then there's like a Argento museum downstairs, which is apparently a bit naff, but yeah, quite. Um, <laughs> it's a bit low budget. Yes, but the first ever um, Italian horror I ever saw was uh, was Argento uh, when my um, friend in my first year at, at, at university. I'll give him a shout out. Hi, Dan. Uh, showed me Inferno. Uh, and oh, that's I, an interesting starting y- point. Yeah, I, I'm not sure it was the best choice as a starting point, but it did make an impression. I've ne- yes. I've prided myself generally on I can I'm quite good with plots and pulling you know pulling out structures of uh, of, of, of drama and you know uh, linking when scenes refer back to other scenes. You know, I've, I, I think I, I I I get it. I within two minutes. Of the closing of the opening credits, I, what the hell is going on? I don't understand anything. Yeah, why she's gone into hard... yeah, she's gone into the church. She's gone down the stairs. It's full of water. There's corpses, I and there's no explanation. Um, and In, then it goes. Inferno on from there. is 
Inferno is an interesting one to try and unpick the plot because there really isn't one. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I that is actually funny enough. It's it's not the first one I saw. The first one I saw was Deep Red, but um, it, it was relatively soon after that, I think. And it it's it remains to be honest. It remains one of my favourites because it's such a kind of fascinating. I don't. I'm not going to say failure, but it it's sort of it's so ambitious. Mm. And it doesn't quite—I don't think—pull off what it what it's trying to pull off. But the the watching it kind of flame out is just amazing. I mean, literally flame out because you know you end up with the guy wandering around the crawl space as the building burns. It's, it's amazing. Um, it's one of those things where it's full of so, so such amazing uh, visual um, elements and with a with a killer twist but the more you think about it the less sense it makes and the more you go back to it i sometimes think the less the, 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 the less you get from it but it's it's a it's a yeah. it's it's a unique piece anyway we're uh, random we're, alchemist yes yeah it's, it's always good. the bit that throws me the most like and wait, if there, yeah and if there's if there's one thing one scene I'll pull out of uh, terrifying me in a in a in an Italian horror. It's the it's the doll sequence that just really just bursts through the door at David Hemmings. Um, uh, oh, in Deep Red. Yeah, in Deep Red. Sorry. Anyway, mm. that's the. Um, but anyway, enough about Deep Red. Back on to uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, uh, which unlike uh, plenty of others we'll be covering, has a relatively coherent, complicated but nevertheless um, coherent plot. Yeah. Um, it centers on uh, an American writer who's out in Italy to, well, to, in, in, in his words, drink wine, eat pizza, and and, and soak up Rome uh, to try and get his to try and get over his block. And in uh, for money, he's been writing is it manuals about birds for a, a university. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So immediately you've got the. They've got the bird motif is is not subtle. I think the first time he enters the academy or the university or wherever it is, the institute that he's meant to be studying at, there's like a, a stuffed ruff, i.e. the bird, the ruff, the rope, um, in the foreground. And then you pass through cages and cages of of, 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 of stuffed birds. We're getting the bird motif uh, in, mm. in in quick in early there as well. Mm. Uh, anyway, with his with his check, he's finally uh, going to go home. Uh, but on the way home, he passes a very avant-garde-looking uh, modern art shop uh, and sees on the mezzanine level um, a man in a mask and a hat struggling with a woman. Uh, the man appears to have a knife. Uh, he stabs her, though not particularly deeply, uh, before before running off and making his escape. Uh, the woman is stabbed and appeals to him, but as he goes in, there's like a two-level entrance. He goes through the first entrance, which then seals behind him, and he's then trapped in this, uh, in effectively a glass box that's almost soundproof. Uh, when he tries to tries to get a, a passerby to call the police, who does? They initially suspect him. He gives his statement. The woman isn't dead. She's she's taken away and given a blood transfusion and, and survives. And the police somewhat uh, surreptitiously push him towards investigating this on his own, presumably because he's going <laughs> yes. to do a lot better job than they are, uh, which is in, an interesting dynamic. The police aren't really the bad guys in this. And unlike in other um, Jalo I've, I've watched, and we will, and we will watch, they're not 
completely incompetent and corrupt, yet they seem very happy to give our, our <laughs> amateur hero a free reign to investigate without apparently any skills, but he doesn't effectively a much better job than the police, who, other than doing some of the background work and shadowing him, don't seem particularly interested in putting any form of resources to try and to, to, try and to catch this killer. It transpires exactly. that, that they, they link it to uh, three other women that have been killed. Uh, I believe this, the person that's witnessed... Uh, this crime would be the the same person and the running theme throughout this is that our hero says uh that he thinks something's wrong about the scene he's just seen uh yes. what's his name sorry uh dalmas dalmas sam sam dalmas, sam dalmas yeah sam he's the american actor tozy tony musanti We'll come on to him in a bit. Yes, but it's only his auntie. Um, but yeah, he says there's something wrong about the scene, and he isn't quite he isn't quite sure what, but can't can't put his finger on it. Uh, there's a secondary plot about using a painting that the first victim bought, and then the killer stole from the first victim, which uh, looks like a very sub Bruegel uh, image of a a woman apparently being stabbed to death by a man in a snow covered field and tracking the artist of that down becomes becomes part of the way to, to to catching the killer and when you eventually find out that what was wrong with the scene it was not that the victim and the victor which has been sort sorry the victim and the and the prey has been sort of shadowed with a couple of sequences uh, throughout the film might not be what you think and then it yes. turns out that the person who was stabbed is himself the killer, um, and they catch them in quite a technological, quite a technological way. Yes, there's a lovely. I, I think there's a sort of just a beautiful touch that he sees the scene unfolding from his kind of glass prison at the entrance to the art gallery. That they've put the who we assume is the victim in white and the killer in black. And in yeah. that very uh, distinctive sort of jello silhouette of you know black raincoat, black gloves, black hat, uh, echoing so that pretty much blood and black lace, sort of the the style, the yeah, style of the absolutely. killer, the mask, and the hat, yeah, absolutely. And and you immediately, you know, it, it's such a, a, a beautiful bit of shorthand to make you think. Well, obviously, you know, so well, it almost goes back to like the you know spaghetti western, the white hats and the black hats. Yeah, you know, there's there's something there of. Um, you know, pushing you to just assume uh, exactly what uh, the opposite of what you what you're really seeing. Yep. Although, I, whether you are actually really seeing that, because the way it's edited, I don't think there necessarily is any kind of shot that you could pick out and say, well, clearly, uh, you know, th- this is the the flip side of of what we're actually seeing. But it is. Um, I mean, God, it's, it just looks so good. It does. You know, literally, the film frame is is the point of view. It's it's really extraordinary. I, it brought um, to mind. It was almost. It's, it's almost com, uh, composed. The shot of the the um, of the art of the art gallery that that he passes with the darkness around him, but the shining uh, brightness of the gallery brought to mind things like uh, the, or the composition, particular like uh, Edward Hopper's Nighthawks at the Diner in its framing. Uh, it's something. Well, she, oh. Very interesting you should say that because Argento clearly is a, a Hopper fan because the bar that uh, David Hemmings and his friend go to from where they witnessed the the pivotal murder in uh, Deep Red is literally a copy of the Nighthawks diner. Is it? Uh, uh. Yes. Yeah. Very like it's it's a it's it's in um it's in a city street but it's a construct to make it look like the Nighthawks. Um, for more on the influence of Edward Hopper on Jello, you should go and read my article on Diabolique. 
Fair enough. We will link. We will link to that on the. I shall put a link the, in the show notes. notes. That would be good as, as, as well. So the actor chosen to play him, who is uh, Sam Dalmas, you said uh, Tony Mazzanti. Um, yes. Is he American? He's an American character, but he's very he's, good. He's very. Yes, he's, he's an American actor. Italian American, uh, presumably. Uh, yes. Yeah. This is really the only thing that I can think that I've that I've seen him in. He's not been in Doctor Who. Oh, he's in an episode of The Equalizer. But this is, but this is still relatively early in his career, so yeah, um, I'm not sure what not, it was specifically that Argento had uh, had picked up on. You know, he's in an episode of like Alfred Hitchcock presents. He's in an episode of The Fugitive. So there's kind of a lot of that. He's in The Detective with Frank Sinatra. So again, you know, that very Italian American uh, milieu. Though I don't think he necessarily has a massive role in that. But anyway, uh, I guess you know he was probably a good guy to to have. You know, he, I mean, he's certainly he's certainly very photogenic. He's He's pretty. He's pretty good in the part. I know he and Argento did not get on. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I believe Argento thought he was somewhat narcissistic. Um, <laughs> God, uh, and imagine it, saying that to an Italian leading man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, and it, certainly they 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 never worked together again, and I don't think they ever really spoke fondly of of each other. Shame. Um, he's he's really good. I mean, it's it's yeah. that's that's sort of one of the the the, the hero role. Uh, is often one that's very dry, um, mm. but he's uh, he he gets a lot of interesting stuff to do. He plays it as a, as a bit of I mean it's it's what it's what the film requires as sort of the cool uh, the cool guy hero. Uh, but for someone for playing the 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 amateur detective um, and being good looking because that's sort of what the part requires and, and what is and what is expected. But I think he does an absolutely fine role in it as well. He isn't. Yeah. And for someone I'd never really seen in anything else, he isn't a poor actor or anything. It's a pretty good cast. There are a few German or kind of popular in Germany actors in this. So, for example, uh, Eva Renzi, who is the... Is she the victim? Is she the killer? Uh, she's the killer. We'll get to that. Yeah. Um, uh, so she was German, um, and she'd been in, like, Funeral in Berlin with Michael Caine, and she... Uh, Went on to be in a couple of other kind of jallowy type things. Verna Peters, who plays the um, Fay antique dealer, who I, I'm sure we'll also talk about. Uh, yeah, was, they try, try to make a bit of a bit of a joke of him being gay, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, as these things go in Jello films, yeah. that one's one of the more subtle ones, but it is still a little uncomfortable and um, outrageous. But and no more than anything else you might see in 1970 on, on telly. No, example, probably yeah. not, actually. And to be mm. fair, you know, Argento was still doing that in like the early 2000s. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so Werner Peters had been in, you know, he'd been in some of the, the um, Edgar Wallace crimmies, he'd been in. Uh, a couple of the Mabuse films, so you know he had a he had a pretty good history of this kind of thing. And Susie Kendall, who's mm. English, but um, and and was at a model, uh, had been a model and then become an actress. But she was quite well known in Germany because she was in Circus of Fear, which again is based on an Edgar Wallace. So that had been quite a popular movie in Germany. Um, so the the so Bird with Crystal Plumage actually had German co-finance who who tried to flog it as a uh, a, a Brian Edgar Wallace crimi, despite the fact that it's right. based on a novel written by someone completely different, which is, kind of goes to show how these things uh, tended to be sold around the world. Uh, but in Britain, Susie Kendall was known for, you know, to Sir with Love or Up the Junction, wasn't she? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so quite a, quite a varied... Uh, <laughs> A very good career, really. Part of the new, part of the new wave, and then yeah. as we go into the seventies, and I've seen her in uh, is it Assault? Yes, yes. Which I thought I'd like more than I than I would, but it becomes too much of a straight 
of a straight drama and I thought it was going going, going somewhere a bit weirder. Although mm. I did I, I did guess I did guess the killer, uh, <laughs> and not just because it's he he later plays the master in Doctor Who. <laughs> well, of course, of course. Uh, who's the chap that plays the um, the inspector? Because he has, as well as being a slightly more sympathetic authority figure yes. than they normally get in these films, he also has the most amazing moustache. With it's yes, almost Nico, not there, just just at the bottom, and then up a yes. bit at the, in, in in the middle. I'm, I'm, I should have spent time of lockdown trying to perfect that 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 moustache. <laughs> Yes, that's Enrico Maria Salerno, who has a has a kind of strong line playing cops um, in like Polizia Teshi films. Um, he's also in something called Nude Odyssey, which I haven't seen, but sounds like it should be good. God, on my watch list. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Arrow will do a steel book or something like before. before I have no before doubt. Too long, if if they do volume two of Years of Lead, just, as we're recording this, they've just announced a Polizia Teshi box set. Um, <laughs> so if they if they do volume two, maybe Nude Odyssey will get in there. As I said, in terms of structure, it's uh, it is a, it is a complex plot. But unlike mm. what I've expected from a lot of Shallow, it's a coherent plot and it's an interesting plot, mm. uh, and it and it keeps you going, particularly with use of interesting supporting characters. And as um, as Sam investigates, you get like these there's wonderful sequences which aren't. In, it wasn't not, not entirely unproblematic, but where they do a lineup, like bring in the perverts and the police do like a lineup of basically people that they've got that might be killers, even though, and then they accidentally put uh, a cross-dressing man in, and then they shout, "No, he should be with the transvestites, not the perverts." Um, yes, and it's <laughs> and that doesn't really seem to serve anything in the plot. But is Argento trying to lighten the mood there with with this sort of, sort of casual? He does side? have a bit of a sense of humour about some right. of this stuff. Okay, you know he's I, I, you know you don't think oh Argento funny um, no. But but the, this one the, there's a fair amount there's a there's a vein of humour running through this. I mean, for a lot of the running time, Tony Mizanti and Susie Kendall's characters seem to treat the whole investigation as like a bit of a lark. Um, yeah. Especially her early on, un- until you kind of get to the point where you know the the killer attempts to attack uh, both of them. But uh, yeah, it's certainly the, the initial stage of the investigation, like Susie Kendall's character in in particular, sort of uh, Julia, seems to treat the whole thing as a lot of fun. With with the caveat that she's annoyed because it keeps you know she basically wants to kind of hang around Rome and have sex with Sam, and he keeps going off to investigate. There's a sort of underlying underlying feeling, and perhaps I'm, I'm reading too much into it, of sort of uh, lack of potency. They sort of like he pushes her away a couple of times while he's investigating, uh, mm. in a way that suggests he's like he, he's unwilling to engage like, in sex, or and he's got writer's block, uh, at which this sort of oh. the 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 events of the events of the film sort of free him. Uh, which is nice, you know. I'm glad. I'm glad all those women got killed, just so you can write a book. That's good for you. <laughs> but there's something I think to be said for this sort of um, he, <laughs> um, the sort of lease of life that that the that there is between the connections mm. of I'm investigating this killer who is inspired by art. This mm. killer has thus inspired inspired my art. I can now work again, and I can also have sex with with Susie, with Susie Kendall. Um, mm. Which you know, if I can, you know, I can, I can create art and have sex. Is that not seem to be sort of the ideal that at least this man aspires to? Mm. There's possibly reading too much into it, but um, 
No, I think there's something to that, actually. I think... Uh, and, and again, I don't know how much of it is, is tongue-in-cheek, because this is probably the, the most tongue-in-cheek of, of um, Argento's films. Although, actually, there's a lot of very deliberately played-for-laugh stuff in Deep Red, actually, when we get to that. You know, the stuff with Daria Nicolodi's rubbish car. Um, is, yes, is which they... a source yeah. of humour. Uh, which I I hadn't picked up, but um, my uh, Birdcast co-host Howard, the, the the writer, has done like a comparison with something with like a Disney Pixar film, like Monster. I think it might be Monsters Inc. Uh, with oh. how one of them gets into a car and then compares that to David Hemmings getting in a Cinquecento uh, and just says, "This is where it this is where it comes from." Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, then, if if, yeah. if if Pixar are throwing in references to Argento films, that would actually not surprise me in the least. <laughs> because to get that, there's a certain, there's only there's only a certain yeah. number of people that will do so. And I think that's yeah. That's the the five if the five year olds are getting in the uh, in the audience are getting that joke, then um, the problem isn't really. I don't, I don't think they're meant to get that joke, but the vast majority of their parents won't get that joke either. Yeah. It's a it takes a particular sort, and hopefully yeah. that crosses over with the sort of people that might listen to this podcast. Yeah, that, that's that's one for the fans. Um, one of the other um, sequences that I think is uh, is memorable, uh, and at least it has some some level of of, of, uh, of engagement with the plot, is uh, the pimp they call So Long. Um, a nice idea that he, um, yes, he's like a grotesque, unlike you when you when you might influenced by a sort of huggy bear feel of what a pimp might look like um which often plays into sort of racist caricatures of black men with money mm. um the pimp, as as we see him there in prison, is greasy, dirty, down at heel, um, pr- mm. protesting that his function is to protect uh, his girls, particularly when there's when mm. there's when there's a killer out, uh, rather than exploit uh, the, the women. And to be fair, you you don't know what this particular pimp's business model is. Perhaps he is a really a really you know a, a really liberal one. But I'm not sure that's what you're meant to infer from the information. No. Uh, but he has a stutter, and the only way he can control the stutter is finishing a sentence by saying "so long," mm. which, on the one hand, just seems to be a a, 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 a basic tick to 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 sort of give some semblance of character to a, a person who isn't in more more than two or three scenes, but gives I think also think whether this works better in Italian than it does on the when you're when you're watching the, the subtitles. I've certainly not seen it when it's when it's dubbed, but gives an interesting sort of poetry and resonance mm. to the sort of to the dialogue. You start off with a joke mm. because he says so long and he thinks slightly lamely he's being uh, Sam is being dismissed. Uh, but then when he starts mm. to talk, and particularly uh, there's a nice sequence where he puts his head in his hands and says, yeah, my girls are out there alone. I should be protecting them. Uh, but yeah, they're at the mercy of this killer so long. Uh, and it's almost a poetic way of saying, uh, of, uh, of him saying goodbye. Uh, and, then there's, and then there's a next question about um, him and he's up and he's defensive and like it was all it was all a show. And then he says something in an entirely different way, in a slightly more aggressive way, uh, because he thinks he's being led. And the, 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 the feeling being that you're seeing his true colours. And he also ends that with so long. And mm. they do different things with the inferences of the, sa- of the same words, which each time you see it, I, well, each time I saw it, I got a... I got a bit more from it and thought that was that was more interesting than the simple gimmick I initially dismissed it as. I was just thinking, actually, looking at my notes to kind of circle back to something. Um, the, the joke with the transvestite in the lineup. Mm. 
I wonder if that's a, a kind of 1970 without the understanding of, of gender and sexual identity that we we now hopefully have oh that transvestite doesn't belong there because you know it's the wrong gender but the killer is the wrong gender from what Sam initially assumes ah okay because yeah. he's kind of assuming the girl's not going to be the killer the the woman is the woman is the victim is the is the default position the woman the victim, is the victim yeah, which is the complete opposite so, so I do wonder if that's actually you know like a, a, a deliberate clue that, that Argento's thrown in there as kind of a throwaway gag um, ah I thought it was but a again. slightly possibly heavy handed and way of attempting to say no transvestites uh, aren't perverted killers they're not the same as this lot as the perverts yeah. which you know isn't however well meaning that may or may not have been is not the way to do it um, but that was yeah. I didn't I didn't think yeah there may be Argento saying something about assumptions to do with gender there yes that's a, that's yeah. a, that's a deep reading yeah that's that's pr- yeah, I mean, we're, we're we're taking quite a lot from one line, one like throwaway joke. <laughs> Such is the basis of, of of podcasts like these. That's why we. That's, yes, that's, of course. That's, that's why we do it. Incidentally, for that um, for the sequences in the uh, in the art gallery, those pieces of art that we see. Uh, and mm. various sort of there's like a petrified tree, but there's various sort of grotesque images. There's like a creature with uh, with their arms uh, aloft in a sort of slightly threatening way, with sort of with sort of talons. And later on, there's a, a new installation which is used by the killer to trap Sam, uh, to mm. trap Sam under. Um, I'm assuming all of those were made just for the production, and I wonder if anything in there is um, is trying to be. Uh, a slightly, uh, slightly, not a clue, but I'm slightly nodding towards the some of the perceived pretensions of the art world. Possibly, yeah. I mean, yeah, yes, as you say, the the large sculptural installation that is like a big metal plate with knives on it um, that that gets dropped on Sam towards the end. Uh, yeah, it's one of those. Um, I designed this as you know uh, a, a nice a nice piece for someone's uh, hallway, but it also comes in handy you know to to kill someone. Um, it's actually quite a jello thing. I think, Fair enough as well. Um, I'm, again, probably reading too much into it, but the idea also that the killer, as we now know, uh, her husband runs uh, presumably what it seems is quite a, a trendy avant-garde place, but um, really likes the slightly naive crap sub <laughs> sub Bruegel uh painting that she's bought with the with mm. the with the woman attempting to be stabbed on a snowy on a, on a, on a snowy landscape that's that's not the sort of piece of art that would make it into her husband's uh, to, into her husband's gallery yeah and the painting is uh ultimately becomes very significant because it's the an image that triggers a basically a repressed memory in in the, the person pa- who ultimately turns out to be the, in, to be the killer but isn't it also a, a, a memory painted or inspired by a memory of, of the artist themselves? Because as Sam goes to track down, yes, track down the, 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 the artist, thinking that he may lead him there, and he lives you know, in the middle of nowhere in a house that can only be accessed from the first floor, and he, he fattens up cats to eat. Yes. Yes, it's the only thing about this movie I don't like. Yeah, I, <laughs> Uh, Dave, by the way, has a, is a cat owner and a, 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 def, a, 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 yes. def, a definite cat lover. And while I'm I'm more a dog person, I can I can I can transpose the uh, the erosion yeah. to his thinking. That I, I, I mean, it, I wouldn't eat a cat, even a fat a fat cat. 
I don't. I don't think I'm reading. I don't think I'm. I'm not going to read. He's eating fat cats. There's a. There's a comment on capitalism there. I think that would be. That would. That would be too much, because there's not a lot that seems to be positive about about the artist. Plus the artist. Oh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that you know someone's going to write a thesis on that at some point. I'm sure. Eating eating fat cats. There you go. A man living what apparently is in poverty eating fat cats. But you know some readings yeah. are clearly I think too far. Others like when Sam is literally chased by Jallo, i.e. the i yes. uh, a man gets out of him with a bright yellow jacket on, and you think, well, mm. that's a bit bright for a killer. Now. You're, I assume yeah. you're not meant to think it's the killer because the only other time you ever see the killer, the killer is all in black uh, with, a, with, with a hat and has a recognisable silhouette and that motif comes in every time you want to see the killer. So I think we're being told very definitely this is separate, but obviously uh, it's connected to Sam's investigation of the killer and it leads to this, what in, I think what in lesser hands could be a, an awful padding sequence, but here works works really well in a different kind of energy when he's chased uh, like through a disused um, bus garage, or at least a bus garage mm. overnight. When the with that eerie, with all, always a space where you're in a space that's not necessarily public, and it's no mm. one's there, and it's it's full of things you recognise, but in not as familiar surroundings, like buses clamped together overnight in a garage and you know creates for you know plenty of plenty of uh, examples of sort of places to hide places to search the sort of there's lots of sort of dark and dank interiors here which they they seem to play with as well but you're once you're left with the the feeling of yeah but why is the killer wearing such a distinctive jacket particularly when like he sam runs into back into civilization has some witnesses so the killer can't kill him and then he's like it's that guy over there the guy disappears so sam runs after him and you're thinking, well, he'll be found really easily. He's presumably going to dump that jacket, and then he follows. Mm. Sam follows the, the attempted killer into into a room, and everyone's wearing exactly the same yellow jacket, as it appears to be a meeting yes. of like a meeting of a boxers union. <laughs> is it a box? Exactly. Is it a boxers union? Yeah, yeah, it's, yes, yeah. sort of retired pugilists. Retired pugilists, that, that's, um, that's right. <laughs> retired pugilists, all wearing exactly the same jacket, which is clearly the union members' members' jacket. I'm reminded of my dad's PLA, Parker. My dad was a was a professional shop steward. He would he would be very he'd be very ah. disturbed to hear that there was a killer amongst his members. But anyway, that's a lovely sort of yeah. subverting of the of, of of an idea of why is this killer in a distinctly in a distinctive jacket. Uh, and you throw the idea on, on its head because it makes the perfect disguise yeah. when he, when, in yeah. uh, when and then Sam has no has no hope of finding him, and then eventually does find him, yes. tracks him down through by showing more resourcefulness than the police, tracks him down mm. to his to his unpleasant hovel and found he's already been killed by the killer. Yes, uh, yes, the um, the assassin played by uh, Reggie Nalda from uh, Mark of the Devil and. Um, Salem's Lot. And oh right, okay. Myriad yes. other Euro and exploitation horror things because he just has that. Uh, he has the face uh, for a, a an assassin, torturer, vampire. You know. You want you wonder whether actors like that make their make their peace with their slightly unconventional appearance and what that says about you know the wider society and what deems attractiveness with the fact it probably gives them regular work yeah absolutely i mean there are quite a few people you know going back to like rondo hatton who they had a type 
in in horror and thriller and um, and exploitation. But I guess it was fairly lucrative. Yeah, it's a great sequence. I mean, there's a few things around that that are interesting. And you've got uh, the creepy when he kind of tracks the uh, assassin back to his. The assassin's called Needles, by the way, in the credits. Um, but right, when okay. he uh, tracks him back to his apartment, uh, he you know there's a there's a very creepy stairway, and you know Argento does love a creepy mm. stairway, so that's kind of the first appearance of that and something that it, the one it really brings to mind uh for me was when the bit of deep red when david hemmings is kind of going around the the abandoned house again not to say too much about deep red because we'll come on to it but that's a very uh specific argento shot um and as you say the yellow jacket i mean in my in my notes i even kind of had it as you know jello became self-aware on the 27th of february 1970 <laughs> um because you know as you say literally you know the the jello the is chasing him one of the things in the film that that I think is really noteworthy is that o- the opening sequence in the in the gallery is so strong and so iconic that the rest of the film kind of suffers mm. because of how good it is. And it, for me, I mean, I, you know, I've seen this a bunch of times, you know, since I first saw it, which is probably back in oh gosh, when it when it first came out on, on DVD and it takes it took quite a few viewings before I could kind of fix on anything other than that opening yeah. sequence um, just because it's so blindingly kind of original well I guess well probably that and actually the the, the first well the, really the only murder that you see that would kind of fit into the Jello murder template the woman who was at the races and lives on her own yes yeah exactly I mean it's it's certainly not as as explicit and as graphic as stuff that came later but i think for the period you know the period we're talking about and compared to films that had come before it's still i think it's still quite shocking the actress in that scene uh rosita torish credits include slapped woman and woman in car uh so this is probably her most memorable screen moment slapped woman oh Christ. Yeah. Oh, she's in Footprints on the Moon as well, Al Luigi Bazzoni. Yes. She played a uh, woman in car in uh, Spasmo, which is a kind of latter-day uh, Umberto Lenzi jello. I believe. Which is, um, which is not bad. Susie Kendall's in that. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, correct. And also worth mentioning that particular murder sequence, that that is the uh, first appearance of many of the killer's hands being played by Argento himself. So throughout here, the rest of his movies... Uh, anytime you know black gloves have to wield a razor, uh, it is Dario who is donning the gloves and holding the weapon. But he's he's not, he's not the body of the killer. Is that every time we see the killer, uh, is that Eva um, Renzi? Um, I or is that a stunt man? Or, I or? don't know specifically. Very probably it is, or someone you know, a, if, if it's a, a double, it's someone. Who, yeah, but yes. Yeah, so, so Argento, just the hands. Is, is, the the hands of the killer, which he did, you know, he I mean is is still doing uh, to this day, and the films that he's done uh, of you know more recently, um, it only really gets problematic when like the victim is one of his daughters, at which you know because he's killed off both of them, you know, in films uh, multiple times, <laughs> but you know, mm. hey, mm. and also he quite graphically kills off his his muse and partner and mother of his child, Argio Argento, um, Daria Nicolodi, quite violently on occasion, um, which, you know, I think she read into uh, quite a lot about their relationship at the time. The use of technology was something that was uh, more prevalent than I necessarily expected. Um, 
there's quite a lot of scenes in um, police laboratories as they sort of uh, use like oscilloscopes and that to try and uh, separate out sound or they have that wonderful dot matrix you know, that gives a 90 I mean I know it's not meant to be visual because it just it says it gives a 90% accuracy profile of the killer but it also in literally X's like you would like you could do now in emojis on a on a phone it gives a profile of what the killer looks like in X in, in yes oh and it looks so oh, it's yeah. really good yeah they're wearing a black hat yeah. it's the ASCII art of the yes. killer yes <laughs> Actually, the ASCII art of the killer would be not a bad mm, name for a channel. Yeah. But the, um, the, the having sort of the sort of groundwork of uh, going in to see the boffin and that, which which becomes mm. you know, which is standard in, in, in like as pretty much all police procedurals you'll see at, at any time in Britain or in or, or in the US. Yeah. But here feels somewhat different not quite in not quite incongruous yet because i'm not sure i've got to it yet but i was surprised to see sort of I, I think it probably goes to to the level so far which the police are treated as an, as an institution they're largely seen as corrupt yep. and incompetent so to the idea yep. if you would say here's that sort of the cutting edge technology as would be in in, in 1970 particularly to in the sequences where they're um uh, isolating the sound that comes through from the killers uh, from the killers oh. phone, phone calls or when they're Identifying that the voices in the in the in the the different calls are different, and Argento, I think I'm right in saying, and you can you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, has form or will have form from from the point of view of watching his first film of muddying the waters when it comes to the killer being a person as opposed to they may be that that, that individual, but their other people are connected with them as well, as indeed it was in Blood and Black Lace. Yeah, he pretty, I, I would say that's true. I mean, certainly that's a very jello trope. Mm, okay. um, yeah, we, we will come on to other movies where, you know, a, a killing has happened amongst the spate of other killings that the antagonist in the film is just using someone who is as the police in one of these would say a sex maniac um, and is using that to cover a specific crime by making it look like it's just another kind of slash you know razor wielding slasher killer overall i think i can see why this is something that if not reinvented then um, set the template for what jallo would be uh, from now, yeah. was that um, due to its immediate success? I mean, was it? A, you say it was part funded in, in in Germany. Was it a success wherever it was shown? Yes, this was a bit of a wake up call, I, and not even just filmmakers in Italy, although that's where it had the most impact in terms of you know the Italian film industry in the sixties and seventies and eighties, definitely in the eighties was somewhere where if something was successful we're just going to keep doing that um, and that's why they're known for making you know kind of Star Wars knockoffs and Mad Max knockoffs mm. and Jaws knockoffs you know they sort of can we do this really cheaply and quickly yes right we're doing that and so I think you know the, the it, it was an industry that was kind of geared up to take what had been done and att- attempt to recreate it in, in interesting ways but um yeah i mean the, the you can see the impact in you know the other kind of films that came out subsequently um you know after the uh, argento's animal trilogy you know myriad jallo have animals in the name you know black belly of the tarantula don't torture a duckling seven deaths in the cat's eye you know you mm. you know the, the the list goes on and on it just was this kind of shift in in what the the thriller was and even in, i mean you know 
someone like Brian De Palma is, and, and I, I preface this by saying I adore Brian De Palma with all his wild and crazy excess. I think he, you know, he's one of my favourite directors. But while he often gets kind of um, slammed as, well, he's just copying Hitchcock, it's like, no, he's just copying Argento. Like, if you watch, if you watch <laughs> Dress to Kill or Body Double, I mean, that's about the closest that a Hollywood director's got to a straight-up Jallo. Uh, I, you know, t- to my mind, other people may disagree. And even, you know, Hitchcock himself, I mean, if you look at Frenzy, which mm. is, what, 73? Mm-hmm. That looks like Hitchcock seeing this, you know, the the new kid in town, the new blood, and and sort of amping up the violence and the the kind of sexualized violence to try and compete with what was coming out of Italy at that time. And you know, I I, I don't know how widely it was discussed, but I certainly think it's acknowledged that Hitchcock was aware of Argento. So, you know, the the, the impact of this. Well, I mean, really the. Of, of this movie is still being felt. So when people are comparing Brian De Palma to Hitchcock, you think that's mm. critics' ignorance of non-anglophonic films that they haven't seen Argento? I think that's very possible because, you know, a, a lot of Jallo filmmakers and Argento, he's taking elements of, of, of Hitchcock, as, a, as pretty much every thriller director is, and Cluzo and all of those things, and filtering them through his lens... And so inevitably there are going to be similarities when someone is taking what Argento's done and filtering it through their lens. You know, there's like a through line back from like the lodger or, you know, all the way through all of these movies pretty much. But as you say, I think, you know, if, if people kind of just dismiss De Palma as, as a, a Hitchcock copyist, and not only are they missing the fact that De Palma is brilliant, but also the fact that his influences definitely include Argento, let's put it that way. And one final point that I just did want to touch on is, again, so we're this is our fifth film that we're discussing, and I believe it is the fourth of the five where at least one of the killers is female. Mm. So in terms of a, a significant trope throughout the uh, the jelly, that one keeps coming up. And you think this is a, a potentially overlooked factor in, in, in readings or opinions on, on jelly? I don't know if it's overlooked. I think probably people have picked up on it. But it's interesting up to this point that where the genre is still relatively contained and there are a lot more films than the ones that just just the ones that we talked about but of of those kind of key ones that i i have seen fit to uh, to pick out the gender of the killer or one of the killers um has been been female i mean i guess it's everyone knocking off le diabolique right so. <laughs> final opinions uh is this the celebrated masterpiece that it is generally regarded as would you say yes yeah, it's <laughs> amazing. Uh, it's it's superb. It's one. It's a film I could watch uh, again and again. I think indeed every time I have watched it, uh, subsequently I found something else to um, to enjoy for the for the detail. The problematic bits notwithstanding, and it's a film from 1970. Pretty much any film from 1970 you can find problematic bits, uh, but it's uh, it's beautifully populated. Uh, within with interesting secondary characters, which helps with the world building. It's visually striking. 
uh, you're right. I think that the opening, well, not the opening sequence, but the uh, the central sequence near the beginning of the film of the apparent attempted murder uh, dominates to such an extent that uh, it's in danger of overshadowing everything as well. It's still worth it to see that sequence, but yet if you if you if you watch the film, and certainly if you watch the film more than once, you're rewarded by a multi-layered, complex, and as I said, uh, coherent plot. Uh, that really keeps you guessing and uses um, logical, logical but inventive structure uh, to reach a, a satisfying, a satisfying conclusion. Something you can't say about a huge amount of other of other jellos, at least as far as I understand. As we go on, that I may have to sort of challenge that position. But yes, uh, for various reasons, I, I think, I think this that's is, fair. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, for, and for all, so for all those reasons, I think this this stands head and shoulders as one of the greatest entries into the the jello genre. Yeah, and it all hinges on a broken sliding door. It does, yes. Oh. Sliding, well, speaking, sliding. Speaking of sliding doors, no, we're not covering. Though, um. <laughs> so speaking of logical and coherent plots, uh, next time, next time <laughs> we find ourselves on the shores of the Thames at Putney uh, and elsewhere in London for uh, one of my absolute favourite jelly of all time. Uh, it is our first encounter with the radiant Edwidge Fennec in All the Colours of the Dark. So please join us I'm for very that. much looking forward to that one too. Next time, psychic visions, satanic murder orgies and some very suspect London geography conspire against Edwidge Fennec, George Hilton and a veritable who's who of giallo legends in All the Colours of the Dark. Until then, goodbye. Okay. Good. Thank God for the edit. That's 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 coming out. Okay. It's fine. Okay. Hey, I'm getting used to this. <laughs>